0: Every young man, at some point in his life, comes to the stage where he starts to take into consideration girls who could possibly, at some point in the future, become potential wives. And I would assume that these guys would be looking for certain qualities or morals in these girls. I know for me personally, there are a few specific qualities that I look for. Qualities such as their love for God, whether they have a loving and kind-hearted character, Uh, the balance between our similarities and our differences, you obviously need that one, and just how they treat others around them, just to name a few. And I would be assuming that Hosea, this young prophet that we find in the book of Hosea, would be in a similar position, looking for a wife. So, before we get started today, can we all turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 1, and we'll just read verses 2 and 3 to start off. Yeah. Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Goma, the daughter of Debalam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, <laughs> I don't know what Hosea had in mind expecting a wife, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't expecting that. Here we find God instructing Hosea to go and take a wife of harlotry. Now, there is conjecture as to whether Goma was a prostitute going into the marriage or whether she was going to be at some point in the future. But the point is, Hosea knew what he was getting himself into. So, just just for a moment, I want you to put yourself in Hosea's shoes. Living in his culture, what would you be feeling? I'm sure we all pray to God in our lives to make decisions, for guidance. And I'm sure, especially, this would be the case for praying for a future husband or wife, or whatever gender you may be. But God asking you to do something like Hosea, I would think that could be difficult, could be a little challenging. Anyways, God asks Hosea to do something, especially in light of the high moral standard of the Old Testament, that could be seen as quite bizarre. Even strange, God asks Hosea to take a harlot for a wife. And so begins the story of Hosea and Gomer. A story of Gomer's unfaithfulness and Hosea's forgiveness. But what a beautiful story it is, as it not only describes the love Hosea has for Gomer, but it is also a prophetic symbol of God's loving relationship with Israel, his wayward people. The book starts in chapter 1, as most books do and introduces us to the main characters, Goma and Hosea, and starts describing God's call for Hosea to take out or to look for a wife, who we just found out was Goma, as we just read. And from reading the first chapter, it's probably safe to assume that Hosea had a reasonably good relationship with Goma, as the chapter goes on to say that he had three kids to Goma. So far, so good. But then the story moves on. And at the beginning of chapter two, we find ourselves in the middle of a court case with this unfaithful wife on trial. And guess who this wife may be? It's Goma. And unfortunately, this story just continues to worsen from there, worsen from there. <clears throat> now what is interesting about this chapter is that the meaning is actually twofold. As you read the chapter, it seems like it's um, goma in the story, essentially. That Hosea or the judge is speaking to Gomer, but we actually find if you read through the chapter that it is God speaking to his wayward people Israel, so it sort of mingles both Gomer and Israel together into one. So, just to give us an idea of chapter 2, I would like us to turn to Hosea chapter 2, verse 2. So, just the first part of the verse, I read that for you guys today. It reads, Bring charges against your mother, bring charges. For she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight. And then the chapter just goes on listing more of Gomer's failings as a wife and Israel's failings as a nation. For example, in verse 5, it describes her going after her lovers, committing adultery and acting shamelessly in front of her children, where we see the spiritual idolatry of Israel represented by the physical immorality of Gomer. And in verse 8 and 13, we see Israel now burning incense and giving thanks to Baal for all their blessings, all their wealth. But the sad thing is, all these blessings actually came from God, but they don't give God a second thought. It's a pretty sad state for both Gomer and Israel. But there is hope as the the chapter ends with a promise from God that at some point in the future, God would once again call Israel his people. And Israel would call um, God their God, essentially. And finally, we get to chapter 3. Can we all turn to Hosea chapter 3, verse 1? It gives a pretty accurate interpretation of what the rest of the chapter is about. So it reads, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So here we find God calling Hosea to go again and love a woman who was committing adultery, an unusual request, but a request from God nonetheless. And so Hosea obeys, and the rest of the chapter then describes Hosea seeking out Gomer, where he eventually finds her at a slave market of all places, and ends up purchasing her back with silver and barley. It's, (laughs) it's definitely an interesting story, wouldn't you agree? Maybe even a little weird or bizarre, but. I would like to suggest to you today that it is not that unique. As in Luke, we find a very similar story, a story you all heard this morning, if you listened to Ramat's perfect children's story. (laughs) It fits in perfectly with the sermon today, because Luke 15 tells the story of the prodigal son. Now, since Ramat gave a perfect uh, cover of the story, and just in case you didn't listen or you just fell asleep, I will go through a brief summary. Just a little brief summary of the story. Essentially, it's this, as Ramat said, it's the son of a rich farmer. And one day, he demands of his father to divide his livelihood between him and his older brother. And out of love, the son lovingly obliges and gives both of this, his sons their inheritance. And as you probably know, and as Ramat said, the son leaves the father, leaves home, and goes off to explore the world until he eventually runs out of some money, picks up some work at a pig farm, realizes what an idiot he's been, and that he goes back to the father, and as Ramon perfectly illustrated, the father with open arms just comes and runs, forgives him and embraces him. It's, it's a beautiful story. And if you want to read the whole thing, it's found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. So in Luke, we have the story of the prodigal son, while in Hosea, we find the story of the prodigal wife, if that makes sense now. <laughs> And I believe that a comparison of these stories, two stories, will help us to better understand the message of Hosea. So in each story, we find the father and the son, and Hosea and Gomer united and bonded in a relationship. Hosea and Gomer have been married for what seems to be a considerable amount of time, enough to have three kids anyway. And the father and his son, up until recent times, it seems, have had a pretty good relationship. It's been in good state. But obviously, something has changed because both the son and Goma have become discontent in their lives and relationships and are now both longing for something more. They had glimpsed the pleasures of this world and they wanted it. As both stories continue, things just go downhill fast. The son shockingly asks for his inheritance. Now, this is crazy because if you understand what that meant, essentially what he was saying to the father is, you're dead to me. Because you would only get your inheritance at the death of your father. So the son coming up to his father while he was still alive and asking for his inheritance now, yeah, it's crazy. But amazingly, the father lovingly obliges and the son leaves home with his inheritance to explore the world. But not only lives a lavish life, but a life of harsh immorality, most likely spending his money on harlots and alcohol and all kinds of immoral activities what the Bible would call prodigal living. While in the story of Hosea, Hosea, sorry, Gomer is the unfaithful one. Gomer leaves Hosea and starts living a prodigal life, a lavish and immoral life, most likely having children with other men, and eventually becomes a harlot herself. And so both the son and Gomer reject the only people in their lives who ever truly loved them, which leaves both Hosea and the father, as you would imagine, feeling deeply hurt and aching. And they both, Goma and the son, seem to be living the good life. The son enjoying the worldly pleasures, and Goma the so-called benefits that came with her lovers. But the sad thing is that in both cases, these quote-unquote benefits actually originated from the father and Goma. But neither father or the neither the father, sorry, or Hosea get any thought from Goma or the son. Not a second thought at all. It's sad, but. All sinful pleasures must come to an end. And we find in both stories, the Goma and son fall into some hard times, as I mentioned before. A terrible famine hits the land. And the son, after wasting all of his money during a time where he should have been preparing, saving, and spending it wisely, is reduced to work in a pig farm. And Goma, after living the high life with her lovers, found herself in a slave market to be sold as a prostitute. How the tables have turned. They both realized they were much better off in their old lives. And finally, in the end, they are both reunited and forgiven. With Isaiah purchasing Gomer out of the slave market and the father running out to meet and embrace his son, as Ramat said again, with open arms, it's, it's a beautiful picture and a beautiful ending to two very sad stories. But what can we learn from Gomer and the prodigal son? In both stories lies a powerful analogy of the unconditional love God has for his people. The love Hosea had for Gomer and the father had for his son. In spite of their harlotry, yeah, even in spite, sorry, of their harlotry and rejection of them both. And through the story of the prodigal son, we can see that the story of Hosea is yet another revelation of the awesome undying love of God. Despite what the son and Gomer did, the love Hosea and the father had for them never died. (coughs) So... The story of Hosea and Gomer is a striking representation of the love God has for his rebellious people. But there's a beautiful chapter right in the middle of Hosea that just illustrates this, illustrates this perfectly. So it's found in Hosea chapter 11. Now, if you haven't read Hosea chapter 11, I would highly recommend that you do because it is absolutely beautiful. You'll be blown away by the beauty of this chapter. It's, yeah, it's incredible. But for the sake of time, I'll just give you a brief summary of the chapter, and you can read it in your own time. Essentially, it depicts God as a loving father, raising his son Israel. God teaches him how to walk. If he stumbles, he picks him up, he encourages him, scrapes away any, uh, yeah, anything hurtful with him. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture of the relationship God the Father has with his son Israel. Reminds you of something, doesn't it? The prodigal, the prodigal son. But anyway... The son, unfortunately, we find out in this chapter, rebels and turns away from his father, walks the other direction. And as you would imagine, the father is a bit angry at this. He's angered by the son and out of love decides to punish him. But that anger and that punishment just doesn't last because the father is absolutely heartbroken for his son. And out of love decides to forgive him and embrace him and take him back. And I would just like to read one verse in this chapter for you. It's verse 8 in chapter 11, and it reads, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboim? Now, these two cities are two cities that got destroyed, sorry, with Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's essentially saying, I don't want you destroyed. I don't want you overtaken. And then he goes on to say, my heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. It's a beautiful image of the love God has for us. His heart churns for us. I love it. Do you agree? I think it's a beautiful picture. Anyway, we find out that Israel had turned away from their father. And although their sins had angered God, his love for them never changed. But Hosea, in light of the New Testament, just takes on so much more meaning. Because Hosea no, no longer just portrays the love of the father, but also becomes a type of Christ. Can we all turn please to Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 to 27. So Ephesians five, verses 25 to 27. Thank you. It reads, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, just like Gomer was married to Hosea, we, as the church of Christ, are married to Christ. We are his bride, as we just read in Ephesians. And as painful as it is to accept... Sorry... Just like Gomer, we have all played the harlot and become the prodigal wife. We've all turned away from God at some point in our lives and rejected him. Now, I'm not saying that we are all harlots or prostitutes, obviously. You don't have to to be a harlot, sorry, to turn away from God. But spiritually speaking, anyone who turns away from God is a Gomer. According to James 2.10, even if you keep all the commandments and break one you're guilty of all. Now, this doesn't mean that you're guilty of every single commandment if you break one. No, that's not what it's saying. What it means is, essentially, is that the law is unified. It is not separated or multifaceted. So if you break one commandment, you're just guilty. Because sin is sin. Anything against God's will is sin. Therefore, even if you break the least of the commandments, you are a goma. So what am I trying to get at here? Just bear with me for a couple of seconds. Could you all turn to Romans 3.23? So yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys read that. But what essentially says is that we've all turned away from God, we've all sinned, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all turned away from God at some point in our lives whether we told a little fib to our boss or maybe cheated in an exam. HSC is coming up. I'm looking at you (laughs) too. So yeah, whether it's that or even a heinous crime such as murder or vice or anything like that, we've all turned away from God at some point in our lives. No matter how little the sin, we've all rebelled against our Heavenly Father. But the awesome thing is that God doesn't give up on us. In the story of Isaiah, we see a great Redemption. God instructs Hosea to go out, seek and find Gomer and love her once again, as we read in the earlier verse. And so we find Hosea seeking out Gomer, eventually finding her at a slave auction where he purchases her back for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half home of barley. Now, for all you theologians out there and for people who love fun facts, this amount of money is actually equivalent to 30 pieces of silver, which is interesting because it is... It's essentially the common price for a slave involved in harlotry. But it was also the price that Jesus was betrayed. If you remember going back to the story of Jesus's betrayal. Now this will make more sense as again to my next point. Because in the same way God sent Hosea to purchase back Gomer. God the Father out of a deep love for His rebellious people sent His only son to seek and save the lost. By dying on a cross to purchase us back from the slave market of sin but God didn't purchase us back with mere silver or barley he purchased us back with his precious and priceless blood so much more than 30 pieces of silver incredible sacrifice and going back to Ephesians Christ our Hosea purchased us purchased you and me with his blood so he could cleanse us from all impurities make us righteous again and yeah make us holy we serve a loving God don't we But what does this story mean for us today? What can we get from the story of Isaiah, and how do we react react, to this awesome undying love of God? Let's quickly just turn to Matthew 5, verses 46 to 47, if you could please. Let's read. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? It's easy to to love the lovable. Jesus said that even the tax collectors greet and love each other. Doing that is easy. It's nothing. It doesn't really take any effort. But God has called us to a higher standard. He has called us to love everyone. And that means everyone. Just like Hosea, Christ loved us even when we were rejecting him. Even though we are spiritual Gomers, and although it must have pained him, God still loved us anyway. It's unimaginable, but it's true. Now, imagine the pain Hosea must have felt when Gomer left him and started cheating on him. You can just imagine that it would have shattered his heart. Now, imagine God, who is love, when we were rejecting him and turning away from him, How do you think that? How do you think essentially that made God feel? It's crazy. I don't think we can even imagine this. It's unimaginable. God is love. Anything that turns anything, people who turn away from Him, me, us, you, it's crazy. It would give Him such unbearable amount of pain. It's hard to fathom. It's impossible to fathom. But I believe this is a key message of Hosea: to love the unlovables, love everyone. Even when it hurts, and even when it's hard. Because God has done the same for us, if you think about it. I know this has been a struggle for me in the past, and it still is. It's, it's easy to love your parents, your friends, your family members, likable people in your work or in your school, or even in the church. But what about the social misfits, the shy or the boring, the awkward or the annoying? Even the homosexuals, or the atheists, the murderers, the adulterers, the homeless, people who are hard to love, people who at some point in our lives we feel it impossible to love. But this, but these groups of people are the very people God has called us to love. Like Isaiah, God has called us to a higher standard. Now, I admit this is a hard thing to do. I know it has been for me in the past. I remember going back to high school, probably grade 7 or 8, There was a guy in my class who you could describe as a little different, I suppose. Very smart, very intelligent, very capable kid, but a little offbeat. Um, He was also quite eccentric, which is, unfortunately, a quality not fully appreciated at that age. Anyways, to to give you a better picture, you know those wide brimmed sun hats that you wear in your head, people wear at school? Anyway, he used to wear six or seven of those hats just piled up on top of his head. Yeah, Tower of Babel, and he said, essentially. (laughs) But, the sad thing was, that he didn't really have any friends. I remember every, every day, he used to sit on this little table over the side of the oval, just eating his little box of sandwiches, and no one would ever come up to him. No one would ever talk to him, except for the, the occasional offhand conversations. But it was nothing consistent and nothing extensive. It was sad. But the thing was, I could never work up the courage to actually go up and talk to him myself. I guess for being thought of as different myself, just taking away time from my friends, maybe I thought I would lose them. I'm not sure. But selfishness is not exempt even from kids. It's it's sad. Anyway, when this this guy left my school, I think grade 9. He left, or he went through all of school an Avondale school, mind you. I went to I won't say the name, but it was an Avondale school. And yeah, he essentially went through his whole schooling career at my school and didn't make one friend. Not one friend. And I contributed to that. It was sad. And looking back at it it now, there's not one day I regret not going back to that situation and going back and talking to him, befriending him. Just even spending a little bit of time with him. It would have made his day. So it got me thinking. That, That guy now, I'm not sure where he is, where life took him, but Looking back at his, his school and career, at my school, what would he say about Adventism? What would he think about us? I just, I just think he would always remember us as the people who never befriended him, who never loved him. Now, I know this is tough to handle. I know it's my own experience. I know what you must be feeling because I experienced it. But, yeah, it's tough. It's hard. But it is something that God has called us to do. And so, but there is a bright side, because I do believe there is hope. There is hope for you, and there is hope for me. By the grace of God, I believe He can and is giving me a greater capacity to love, a genuine loving kindness for these people that is in line with His kind of love, an unconditional love that has no barriers, no margins, nothing, a Hosea kind of love. It's it's funny. It is so true that... If you want to really realize how selfish you are and how much you don't really care about people, do ministry. It reveals a lot of things about your character. It sounds harsh, but unfortunately it's the harsh reality. Do ministry and you'll find out how much you need God's love in your life. I can tell you that. But I do believe, as I said before, that there is hope. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, slowly but surely, he is changing my heart. He is giving me a greater capacity to love, to love these contacts that God has given me. And I know God can do this for you too. It's incredible to think that God can change people like us to be loving towards others. I challenge you guys, that as Jai made the announcement before, there is the Huck Wagon ministry coming up. I challenge you to step out in faith and just try that. It will really make you realize the need you have to love others more. And I know ministry has done the same that's my challenge to you today. Essentially. to God for a greater capacity to love for both the lovable and especially the unlovable people in our lives because if we don't show the love of Christ to these people who will thank you